A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, ice houses blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980 and each week we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units the book and dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory and as always very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Loose Units Origins. I'm Paul Verhoeven and my dad John Verhoeven used to be a cop back in the 80s so I wrote a book about it and this episode we are talking about chapter 11 from my book loose units it's called broken toes no it's not and this week we're talking about chapter 11 it's called taking stock now earlier on in the book dad was paired up with a guy called len beta not his actual name dad i think you and i can both agree that len was a bit uh give us some adjectives to describe what he was like as a kind of buddy to be paired up with well um compared to the other buddies yeah Bearing in mind there were 10 at North Sydney Police Station. Um, he Wait, was exa- exactly 10? Either 10 or 12. Okay, okay. Actually, no, there were 10. Exactly. Okay. But, Paul, you didn't ask me how I'm feeling. Well, no. You, you normally always say at the beginning, how, how are you feeling, Dad? I'm like I'm just, a coiled spring. Yeah, I just wanted to see... Uh, I'm like a slinky, just sort of falling laconically. I'm, I've got so things. much energy. I'm, I'm, I'm r- raring to go. I'm really excited. That's good because I've just read the chapter. Oh yeah, and it's a you know it's a it's a short one, but I have something that I want to talk to you about in regards to this chapter. But it all kind of stems from your buddy who you were paired up with after Len Beta. Now, mm. if you've not if you've not read the book, if you're not reading along, that's totally fine. Uh, but if you have, you know exactly where we're going to end up this episode. We're talking about the um, I called him Ant Man because I didn't want to give his real name. No, uh, no. I was thinking about that this morning, Paul, mm. uh, as I was coming back. So, came back this morning and um, was thinking driving back about the uh, the chapter we're going to talk about. And it was, I'm thinking about how old these people are and whether uh, any of them listen to the, uh, or, or whether any of them actually know who we're actually talking about, because it's fairly, it's fairly... Uh, descriptive of the characters these aren't but these aren't also big 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 cases no you know there's so many people in the in the police force i guess there's a few things they could use to zero in such as uh north sydney police station Mm. uh your real name so Mm. 
if someone if someone was buddied up with you and they participated in the things that are described in this book, they would know. Definitely. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I've had I've, some, I have had feedback from um, some extremely senior New South Wales current serving police officers. Like we're talking really high up the tree. And that was specifically regarding um, Len Beater, if I recall Correct. correctly. And that's something that will never be mentioned. Yeah. You know it and I know it. And I know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy. Uh, but- some, some things are too heavy for this podcast. That's true, but I mean, stuff about Len does come back later in the book. And it does. It's pretty exciting. And it disturbing. is. It's very exciting. But Paul, next- um, yep. when I drive over to North Sydney, I can still see the bus pull up in the dark, and I can see a young, skinny police officer on his very first day. It was a, it was a, a day shift, seven a.m. start on a Monday. I can still see that young police officer getting off that bus and walking to the station. Can you imagine the fear and the excitement walking into a real police station? You mean the fear and the excitement of of having John Verhoeven watch you go to work? Are you to, just to, just to clarify? Are you flashing back here and being figurative, or are you literally going to North Sydney to watch people enter? The police station. Well, Paul. Um, oh shit! Wait, stop. A CSU van just pulled up outside. What? That's not good. That's not great. No. Uh, and there's that story, of- Paul. We haven't discussed yet. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry, everyone, for being so vague about that. But I wanted to give this. Tegan and I loosely participated in an investigation for a very serious crime mm. uh, about 12 weeks back, and it was talked about kind of in passing on the show. But just now. A CSU van has pulled up across the road. Uh, I can only see the back end of it. Um, now, Dad, as you pointed out before, if a van pulls up with darkened windows at a crime scene, it's, it, it might potentially be a um, uh, from a funeral home. Yeah, government contractor to pick up Go- a, uh, yep. a deaden, as we used to call them. I'll tell you what I'll do, Dad. I will keep everyone ab- uh, abreast of what's going on. If mm. there's any updates on this literal ongoing crime, I will keep you posted. But great, great. But, Paul, uh, you, first- you asked me, you said, did I go to North Sydney Police Station and watch police officers walk in? Well, no, because it's closed. It doesn't exist. Permanently. Yes. But when I do um, drive around that area, I can, mm. if I'm in that vicinity, I can visualise um, in, in enormous clarity and detail mm. um, and with a bit of a sort of a warm, fuzzy feeling of, of that that time because i realized that you know you're you're at the academy and you're fairly sort of cocooned and closeted and then all of a sudden there's that day where you report to a real police station and um you walk in through that front door and people sort of look up at you and and they know that you're a probationary constable and um yeah so i I started that six-week process but as your chapter uh now um starts to talk about is is the meeting of my second buddy. Yeah. Because... Uh, who's called Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, give, I'll, give the, I'll give my description of Woodstock because it's obviously I've changed his appearance to give him, you know, that kind of uh, plausible deniability. Uh, here we go. Dunn's enormous arm whipped out, finger outstretched, and he pointed across the room at Anthony Woodstock. John immediately recognized him as the officer with the jet black hair who'd had the shifty bathroom rendezvous weeks earlier and immediately decided he'd prefer not to know any more about the guy. 
Woodstock was in his late 30s. He was stocky and short in a way that implied great strength and he had extremely full lips. Let's just stop there because, Dad, I changed everything about his appearance, but one thing that you insisted I keep in was the fact that he had very full lips. And that, that's your that's your description of him. Mm. Why no, it's is real, it, real. Yeah, wh- why do you think that stuck with you? Paul, do you recall, um, and I know that listeners of a certain age will recall a certain kind of a cartoony type show called Captain Pugwash. Did you uh, ever yes. see it? Yeah, with semen stains. Correct. Yep. Um, and Roger the Cabin Boy. Correct. So, but you know that those type of shows that are quite rare, mm. and for those that don't or haven't seen them, they have these kind of cardboard cutouts that move, but they use real lips. Oh, shit. It's mully grubs. Yeah, I understand. So they use real mouths. Yeah, real mouths. Yeah. Superimposed onto a cardboard cutout. And quite frankly, it's disturbing and very creepy. And it's probably led to a lot of children becoming, perhaps getting onto the sex offenders lists in various countries. What are you very- talking? What are you? What are you going on about? Are you claiming that the that the real mouths in fake bodies on Captain Pugwash have led to sex crimes? Well, they were disturbing. I remember yeah. as a young child watching these weird lips. But the thing about the lips is that they were all very pert. Now, this is pre um, being injected with rat poison. But they were very full, so I imagine that people would have gone to um, to auditions, uh-huh. and the only thing that the um, the film production company would have been interested in were yeah. people's lips, because that's all you'd see. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's fairly unusual, particularly back in the 1980s, to see a male person with particularly, and I don't want the viewers, the viewers, the listeners to think that I'm sort of focusing on lips. Lips are great. Lips are important. <laughs> That's objectively what you are doing. I know I am. I'm not, and I'm trying not to make a big thing about them. But these lips were not only were they very full and plump, but they were very pink. I mean, they were they were unusual lips. Um, I'm probably the only person that that sort of remembers that about this particular person. But that when I saw my new buddy, yeah. who, who was built like the proverbial brick shithouse, shit house, yeah. the thing that kind of made me feel slightly odd uh, were his lips. Um, and I think we've spoken and discussed his lips too long and too, you know, for too long. But, but you're saying that, uh, but you're saying that, I mean, I'm just, dwelling on this Captain Pugwash thing. I mean, I'll wager that most of the Real Housewives of Melbourne have at some point popped over to your Liberty Bell and just asked for the full Captain Pugwash on their lips. Mm. Anyway, so the lips. I'm just going to move past the lips. Mm. But the thing that struck John was how he moved slowly and deliberately like a huge animal trying to conserve energy in the midday sun. He was mean looking and had the walk of someone practiced in cruelty, but in a bored, satinine way. John looked at him standing eerily still, staring up at the board on the wall. Months later, John would sit down with Dunn over drinks, shaken by what had occurred during his second buddy period, and Dunn would tell him his theory, that Woodstock didn't even have a heartbeat, that his resting pulse was 10, and under extreme adversity, 11. If he'd been with John when the van crashed and the occupants ran off, he wouldn't have run after the man in the park with his gun drawn. He'd have walked. Now, this bit I think is interesting. Perhaps that was why Woodstock had qualified for police rescue. 
Back in those days, police rescue had a kind of stranglehold on the spectacular. There's a reason Gary Sweet managed to capture people's imaginations by rappelling down buildings. Clad in white and driving white trucks, they dealt with the most treacherous shit on show. Now, Dad, one of my earliest memories growing up was of you saying how much you did not like the show Police Rescue. Do you recall this? I do, yes, but it wasn't so much about the... Perhaps it was the subject matter, which I found a little bit sort of, you know, orchestrated. Um, But I never particularly, with the greatest of respect, um, really endeared myself to that particular lead actor. To Gary Sweet? Correct. But do you think perhaps it was his character of Steve Mickey McClintock? Or was it his performance style? Or was it the fact that you were watching someone who was ostensibly a lot like Ant-Man? Very much so. Because Ant-Man was a police rescue... I mean, was he doing it on the side? Um, well, we'll come to that, won't we, as to how it used to work. Yeah, yeah. You recall yeah. how I later on become involved in forensics through mm. relieve and assist, which meant yes. that, you know, when they required extra assistance, mm-hmm. I would be brought from general duties back into plain clothes to then become a scientific investigation crime scene officer. And it was very similar with police rescue. They had their core permanent police rescue guys and and I say guys although there was a girl in my class class 171 mm-hmm. whose name was Sally and she eventually ended up in police rescue and her 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 nickname her non de plume was super sal as in a superhero called Sally no i get it and that was her and that was her that was her mantle and she became quite famous in the New South Wales Police Force as Super Sal or Super Sally. And she was, she was a big unit. She was a big girl. She was over six foot. Uh, she had Dutch heritage. And, um, yeah, she was, but she was in my class and she was, she was a lovely girl. Um, was she the first? She was the first. She was the first uh, female, to my knowledge. In police rescue? In the New South Wales Police Rescue section. And can I, the- I, re- I got to read you the, I got to, <laughs> I got to read you the, Plot synopsis, the one-line plot synopsis of the pilot movie of uh, Police Rescue. Okay. Uh, The 90-minute telly movie established the background of the protagonist of the series, Sergeant Mickey McClintock. Several issues were raised in the pilot, such as women's discrimination, sexism, and street violence. The plot evolved around the entrance of the first woman member to the police rescue squad, Constable Georgia Rattray, and then the search for a missing boy in Sydney's sewer system. So that's a bit weird, but then I keep going through these kind of plot synopses, right? And Season 2, Episode 1, Constable Tom Bomber Young, played by Russell Crowe, a footy hero, joins the squad with disastrous results. Now, what's interesting there, Dad, is that you've talked about the fact that, yeah, in your experience, the police force would draft footy players Mm. who would then come on board with disastrous results. The next one, when a car and commuter train collide, it's an emotional and physically draining shift for the entire squad. Your encounter with, uh, with, with trains. And I'm going through all these plot synopses. Wow, Paul, and that's that's fascinating. It's not that I'm saying they took stuff. It's just that I'm saying. I mean, there's one here where there's a there's a, a chemical spill. Um, there's someone trapped in a car and they have to basically kill them to get them out. Mm. Um, there's someone missing in a forest. There's now obviously when you get to the specifics, right? The specifics mm. is where it, you know it's really nothing like it. Mm. But what I find interesting is that I grew up with you being kind of in a friendly way, a little bit salty towards police rescue. And now mm. having written this book and done this research and talked to you so much, I'm sitting here going, 
Yeah, you kind of did all this stuff and you weren't even in Police Rescue. I know, it's fascinating, isn't it, Paul? And and you have this guy, this antagonistic guy who we're about to really sink our hooks into Mm. uh, and find out more about, Mm. who was in Police Rescue and was kind of like the shitty version of, of Gary Sweet's character. I wonder how much you would have enjoyed Police Rescue if you hadn't had Ant-Man as as a buddy? Um, no, it just didn't. <laughs> no. Not at all. Okay. No, it just didn't. It just didn't. It, did, it didn't make the, make the cut. What about the abseiling? Did you like the abseiling? Look, I did a lot of abseiling in the fire brigade. A see? lot. Do um, you see what I'm saying? You, you saw these people abseiling down these buildings. At one point for the ABC, Dad... Um, I don't know if this was for a New Year's thing or the launch of a new VHS box set from Brashes for season two of Police Rescue. But they had the cast, and I believe some real Police Rescue people, get into the white clothes and abseil down the front of this building using mm. that method where they face forward and run yeah. down. Amazing. Um, yeah. But they had Gary Sweet doing it in character as a kind of PR stunt. And I remember you rolling your eyes at this, and now I'm sitting here going, okay, you weren't jealous because you were doing all this stuff yourself. Well, you may be sitting there projecting going, oh, God, why isn't there a TV show about me? Um, <laughs> possibly, Paul. But look, whilst I don't like to bring physical stature into into this the podcast, I'm, yep. I'm about to. And I'm, okay. I'm, doing, I'm going to do it gently and as, 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 as sensitively as I possibly can. But mm-hmm. when we listen to, I mean, I guess it's like uh, the listeners um, that listen to our podcast all over the world. Mm-hmm. They, if they've never seen a photograph of you or me, yeah. they go into sort of a, a world where their own imaginations, and we all do it with, with literature, where you create an image of the characters. Mm-hmm. And for people that have met you and me at live shows, which, let's face it, it's, it's in the thousands of people, I think they kind of meet us and I've got a feeling that perhaps we are as they may have expected. However, when I met Gary Sweet, I saw him in real life. I He was not the... Physically, he was not um, as sort of... He's not what I expected. When did you meet him? Oh, look, I... You know, when we had quite a few film recording studios um, in North Sydney in our, in our area... And um, we regularly would, uh, for lots of reasons, we'd be called down to various TV productions. Um, and you may recall that time that I was on a film set for Neighbours and we were there on a police matter and the producer came up to me mm-hmm. and my colleague and told us where to stand. Oh, because they thought you were yeah, extras. I yep, I think, and yeah. I took my revolver out and showed it to the producer. And explained that those bullets inside the uh, the revolver were actually real, mm-hmm. and not 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 a prop gun. But but you met him. You met Gary Sweet during this period. Correct. Yeah. And and he was. Um, look, it doesn't really matter what I what I think. But I'm just saying that the image I had of this this person. That's not to say. Look, we can go down the rabbit hole here, and I don't particularly want to talk about. I'm just saying that in your mind you imagine a certain character. Um, I guess it's perhaps like people that meet Tom Cruise and find out that he's five foot. Um, they go. Oh, f- <laughs> I'm exaggerating his height. Of course, he's shorter than that. He is but, tiny. Yes. Yeah. But um, so yeah, look, it's it's fascinating, Paul. Um, uh, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say. So 
we're sitting here talking about police rescue, which I think is a worthy kind of avenue to go down because it's going to affect everything we talk about with Ant-Man. Because he has not just the... He has not just the tasks and duties given to him as a member of police rescue. He also has what I would say is a bit of a a bit of a dangerous ego, which and, and a, there's a certain toxicity to him as a person. But I'm less interested in that right now, and more interested in looking at potentially the jobs that are involved in police rescue. And I'd like to give you a list of these, and I want to go down this list and see if, um, even now, if you've actually checked all these off, hmm. and whether you would qualify for police rescue theoretically okay yep Yep. okay and this is based on the um victoria police search and rescue squad's duties so it's but it's the closest i could get i think it's a pretty decent approximation yep here we go okay first up underwater diving definitely okay could you detail that a little bit uh i've done so many dives i've done thousands of scuba diving and free diving dives Mm -hmm. i mean thousands and thousands in fact irresponsibly i used to night dive in Sydney Harbour by myself using tanks with no gauges. So I basically just sucked my last breath and decided to come up. Totally irresponsible, very dangerous, uh, but definitely a thrill seeker. And did so, you have a, some sort of, um, for diving, do you need some sort of license? Were you a Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was licensed. I, I had my FAWI, the Federation of Australian Underwater Instructors. Mm-hmm. I had that qualification. And I got it uh, when I was 16. So uh, I've been diving since I was 16. Now let, do the maths. That's, that's, a, that's 44 years, for almost 45 years. And, and I love the ocean. I love diving. I've dived all over the world, free dive, done lots of... Yeah, so really exciting. I don't, okay. get, I don't get stressed or pressured under when I'm in sort of pretty hairy situations. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the next one. Bush search and rescue. Um. Look, I've done a lot of bushwalking. Um, but, I mean, search and rescue, what does that actually entail? Well, um, well, it's a good question. Um, when people go missing in the bush, in fact, um, here's a... Did you hear about the female police officer that passed away on the weekend up here in Sydney? No, I didn't. Yeah, so um, she, um, a senior constable working up in the Blue Mountains, she tried to rescue uh, an international uh, student who got caught in a whirlpool, and she drowned as well. So uh, two people died on the weekend. One of them was a female senior constable based up in the Blue Mountains and a, a tragedy, and um, police rescue, they were heavily involved in that. And the person that went to sort of notify the emergency services that there'd been a, a, a double drowning, that person had to spend a long time trekking through the bush to get to help and the police rescue and all the uh, the ancillary emergency services, uh, they they had to trek in, carrying all the gear. They couldn't use helicopters because of the fog. And then when the rescuers, the police rescue, got to the uh, the pair, including one of their own, they stayed with those two girls overnight. And when that came onto the news on the weekend, I felt very sad. I felt sad for the family, families. I felt sad for a lot of people, but the people that I particularly felt very strong empathy with, with were those emergency service personnel, police rescue, that, that stayed with um, a deceased member of the service overnight. And that's pretty, that's pretty full on, Paul. 
Yeah. And it reminded me a little bit of that time I sat with that guy that had jumped out of a building and I sat with him in Manly. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty full on. So do you anyway, think go you ahead. could? No, I was going to say, do you think you could um, carry out bush search and rescue? Um, based on your I think set? I could. Yeah, okay. Uh, snow search and rescue? I mean, did, did you, I mean, you were a cop in New South Wales, uh, but in North Sydney, so you're a, you're a city cop. Did you ever, you know? No way. Not a no? chance. No. All right. We'll check that one off. Uh, mountaineering. Can you climb? Oh, bloody oath I can. <clears throat> in what respect? Uh, well, I used to climb mountains when I was young and generally get trapped as the sun was going down and then shit myself and then somehow or other like, get caught on a ledge and not be able to go backward or forward. And sometimes I would just have to slide down. I mean, I'm not talking mountains here, but pretty pretty big hills. I mean, I'm probably making it sound a little bit more dramatic than it really was, but at the time it was pretty scary. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. I don't think that qualifies as mountaineering, Dad. I think you're right. I'll, I'll I mean, pass on that. <laughs> climbing up a large hill and shitting yourself and kind of sliding down is not mountaineering. <laughs> All right. So at this point, you've kind of got one and a half out of four. Navigation. How are you with navigation? Oh, well, I had to navigate in the police air wing and I used to do rallies, car rallies in my teens. So uh-huh. I'm pretty apt and adept with a compass. So I'm okay. definitely going to say yes to that. 
All right, we'll give you one for that. Uh, cliff Rescue and Airborne Operations. Now, you've already said Air Wing, so I'm going to say Airborne Operations is a check, but Cliff Rescue. Oh, yeah, hang on. We there's did Cliff. Kind of- I've done Cliff Rescues in the Fire Brigade. Really? Yeah, there's that great photo of me being, you know, hauling up that deceased person on the what? cliffs at Bondi. Remember that? That in the no. Stokes litter? No. Like a- yeah. So, yes to that. And look, everything to do with the Air Wing, all that. Yep. Yeah. Give on. that a big tick. Yeah, so Dad, I'd li- I mean, look, I'd like you to tell the story of this cliff rescue, if you could. I mean, if you rescued someone from... Hang on a sec, were they living or dead? No, they were dead. Uh, haven't you seen the photograph? I've got a photograph of me being hauled up. I'm, I'm actually attached to a Stokes litter, which is a rigid <coughs> frame. <coughs> frame, And um, we're using the, uh, the ladders. And uh, this person had um, fallen off a cliff uh, in Sydney's eastern suburbs. They were well and truly uh, dead. <clears throat> Did my voice just go up? Yeah, maybe you're um you're becoming a man. <clears throat> and um, I uh, was the guy that went out and then got the Stokes litter. If, people will have to Google Stokes litter, but it's a very famous piece of um, rescue equipment. It sounds like a small British town. But uh, okay, so you got lowered down. Mm. Whereabouts? Where, where, where exactly was this? North of Bondi Beach on the, on the, on the cliffs, and it was it was it was bad. And this What's person that? was um, yeah, they were. They were dead. So when, were they dead when you were called or did they pass away uh, on the way up? Like, how, tell me specifics. Like what time of day was it? What, what was the call like? Did you, was it your first time doing it? Yeah, it was, it was the first time um, using the ladders as, as an aerial appliance to assist in a cliff rescue. And um, I went down with a first aid kit. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what time was this? Was it middle of the day? 10 in the morning, 10 in the morning. Hot, cold. Yeah, it was summer. Um, I'll I'll dig up the photo. In fact, yeah. if I can get the photo to you, Paul, perhaps you can post it on the uh, on the page if you like. I know people are going to be really pissed that I'm even asking this, but is it okay to post this photo? Yeah, because no one knows who the uh, who Bloody the because the deceased person is. Um, I think you can see their hand sticking out, but um, the hand was slightly black because um, they've been there a while. Actually, Decom- decomposition had had set in, and also. Uh, the person was spotted by uh, some fishermen. Um, how far down were they? Around about twenty meters. And how far? How long was the drop? That's about a. That's about like a four-story building. They'd fall. I'm just down. trying to figure. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to figure out whether they were snagged halfway, and you had to kind of. No, shoot them down no, they'd, they'd made it pretty well to the bottom, but they'd got wedged between. Um, and the problem with uh, with sort of removing or moving a uh, a deceased person at the best of times is is traumatic because quite often there's been terrible head injuries but you've got to sort of there's a lot to do prior to to removing them I mean forensics need to come in and photograph the scene but it was my job being in the fire brigade and being a ladder driver to extricate the deceased now we didn't use a helicopter because uh, it was windy and um yeah, the fire brigade thought it was, you know, it was just a good opportunity to to use the ladders because they're not often used with cliff rescues, but it's a it's a, it's a role they can perform very very well. So, um, but quickly, because so you mentioned that um, you mentioned that uh, forensics would have to look at the body and then and then your job was to help get it out of there. Mm. When you arrived, had the police already rappelled down and had done yeah, their yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, so, police police rescue. Um, the forensics, um, detectives, because you have to establish, of course, um, 
whether there are suspicious circumstances. And remember, in on this particular occasion, Paul, I was a ladder driver in the New South Wales Fire Brigades. I was not a police officer. I, I was not in forensics, which is weird for me because I am acutely aware of preserving the crime scene, if it's a crime, mm-hmm. um, and all that sort of comes into play. So I'm kind of I'm wearing multiple hats, but not really. Um, my police experience enables me to sort of be very, very cautious and thoughtful. Um, but the problem with this particular deceased person from my perspective in the fire brigades was that decomposition had 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 set in and I had to be very careful that when removing the person mm-hmm. I would not pull limbs off um, like pull an arm off pull a leg off pull a head off Jesus Christ um, what state was the body in when you when you actually got to it that's pretty ratchet so but it's a co- combination of uh, I, mean, I mean like in medical terms what does it's pretty ratchet in they were fucked yeah that's not really more no, it doesn't cl- clarify. No. Um, uh, well, they were that severe head trauma, so brains hanging out. Um, difficult to facially identify the person. Um, yeah. Broken bones, so f- arms and legs, compound fractures. Bones come through skin, through clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, that the rats and cockroaches and other mollusks, crabs, a lot of crabs at night time had been chewing away at this particular person. How long have they been there, do you know? Well, the hands, if you have a good look at the photo, and I'm not sure whether we'll post the photo coming with second thoughts as to just how bad it is, but you can see quite clearly when I'm being raised with that particular person, uh, the hand that you can see is black. So that should speak volumes about decomposition. Okay. So that's just that's a shitty job. Yeah. Uh, you, and got the body, you got the body out of there. Yeah, got in one piece. But that's another thing you've got to do. You've got to make sure that you get all the remnants from between the rocks. Um, it's pretty, pretty bad. And police rescue that my buddy was in, he, that's, that's their work. That's there. But imagine going to that case where there's brain and, well, I can't imagine it. And so can the listeners because they've read and listened to all our, you know, they've read your books and, mm. you know, your your, descri- your descriptions are fantastic and very visceral. But um, imagine everything I've just discussed, but just take out the the decomposition, but you've got everything else, but then throw into the mix the person's still alive. You've got to get them out of there, yeah. And they're screaming. And you're looking down. It's like being in a war situation, I imagine, where you look down and go, you know what? You're thinking to yourself, you are fucked. You ain't going to make it. As you jab an ampule of morphine directly into an artery to give them that last bit of relief. And they go, how am I? And you go, like your mouth's moving. Your mouth's saying, it's just great. You're going to be fine. But inside based on your experience, you're thinking something completely different. So do you think you could have done that job? I mean, you've sat with dying people before and you've rescued, you know, I mean, I wouldn't classify that as a rescue. It's definitely mechanically, it has all the components of a police rescue. Do you think you could have done cliff rescue? 100%. Okay. I'm I'm more than happy to sign off on that one. Mm. The next one is weird. Searching ship hulls for drugs. Definitely can do that. You ever done a dive down to a wreck? I've done wreck diving. But Have in, you? 
Bloody oath I have. But Paul, um, I've done a little bit of cave diving, which is really dangerous. But in the fire brigade, mm-hmm. when we first went to do those initial tests, they tested you for claustrophobia. And I am not claustrophobic. I can go into the bowels of a ship. I can go into any cave. I can go into any dark um, space. Mm-hmm. When I used to do scuba diving, night diving, quite often I would lie on the bottom of the ocean and I would turn my torch off and I would lie there in the total blackness. And do you know how I felt? Good. Can you guess? I felt bloody great. It was so comforting. It's such a buzz for me, but not for everyone. Some people listening will be going, you're insane. But, I mean, people may have established that a long time ago. Oh, yeah. In relation to me. Mm. But I find those situations. I I went caving. Did I ever tell you the story we were caving down south with a mate and we just had a shitty torch and the torch ran out? No, no, no. Okay, this is interesting. Start at the beginning for this, okay? Don't skip any details. Um... (laughs) Well, my friend, he and I, were, we were in the school swimming team and he had a, uh, a really nice car and we drove down and he started to fall asleep at the wheel. It was night time and he pulled over and about one in the morning, I saw the cabin of his car starting to light up and I thought to myself, this is pretty bad i got a pretty bad vibe and i reached forward and you know how the inside of car windscreens get all fogged up yeah and i wiped and i could see this bright light coming towards us and then the ground started to rumble and i realized that he'd parked pretty well on a railway track out in the bush so i quickly woke him up and we moved And when we woke up in the morning, I got out of the car. He had parked on top of a bull ant nest. Uh, And bull ants, when they bite, it's very painful. So we'd gone from almost being killed by an oncoming train to moving the car to a bull ant nest. We then made our way to the Wombian Caves, which probably not many people have heard of. I certainly hadn't. And we had this weird idea that wouldn't it be really cool to just go caving. And we had one torch and we went into this cave. There's no one there. And we're going down, down, down into the bowels of the earth. Is this scuba or just just dry caves? This is walking. And neither of us, we didn't know shit from clay when it came to, I'm going to use one of my favourite words here, speleology. Don't you love that? It's for sp- yeah, spelunking. Yeah. Not spelunking. Speleology. Spelunking is a word. Caving. And the torch ran out and we were literally stuffed. However, the good how, news how, is... How, wait, how far in were you at this point? In so far that... When the torch went out, we had no idea. There was no light, no natural light from the sun coming into the cave. 
but we both smoked, which sounds weird in that we were both in the swimming team. Mm. And we both had matches and we used our little matches and we lit <laughs> these matches one at a time. And from memory, each box of redheads contained 50 matches and we made our way, but it was very stressful. But my friend, his name was Peter, that's his real name, mm-hmm. he was he was losing it quite badly. He was actually um, on the verge of having a very bad panic attack, which would have been very bad because I would had to have done something ridiculous probably to him because, you know, if, if you start to lose the plot, um, I mean, imagine if he just ran off into the darkness. And, and oh, some, sure. some of these caves have never been properly... Um, and it could have been really bad. Yeah. But, yeah, that's caving. So I say yes to caving. Happy to do it. <laughs> Investigating diving fatalities. 100%. Okay. Yep. I mean, in, you... in fact, I worked... One, one, one of the really cool buddies... The, I, I got two duds. I'm putting it out there. I got two duds. But there was a particular buddy at... Um, North Sydney Police Station, and I'm, I'm putting it on. I'm, I'm laying my my cards on the table here. He was a really good style of a bloke, and he got the the girls. Um, I don't know how it was all figured out, but he his buddies were two girls in my class, um, and he went on to become a professional full time police diver. Now that is something that I kind of... You know how they talk about what would you do if you could go back in time, which is an impossibility? Yeah. If I had my time again in the New South Wales Police Force, and I've never said this to you, Paul, one of the areas that I would love to have spent my whole career in would have been police diving. That is so interesting. I just love... And I and I was thinking about the the, the police divers, mm. like you know how we had the police rescue on the weekend. They had to retrieve the two girls. Yeah. The police divers had to actually go down and retrieve them. Right. They had not made their way to the surface. So the divers work in some terrible, terrible. I mean, you know, imagine a young kid that goes down a drain in a flood. The police divers are the ones, and really dangerous work. And, 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 and incredibly stressful. However, I would definitely have, have excelled in that aspect of policing, I believe. So you could have done... I mean, based on this list, you could probably have done police rescue. You certainly could have trained in the things that you haven't done before, like snow rescue and mountaineering mm. and stuff. The Yeah, Paul, I think snow rescue mm. would have to be one of the most dangerous types of rescue in the world. Yeah. Because you have no control over the weather. Also, it melts by the time you've rescued it. You get that stuff back, it's just water. Hmm. Yep, that's, 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 yeah. I once drove to the snow from Sydney. Yeah. Uh, when I was living, when I was a teenager, I was living with some Indonesians. They'd never seen snow. Mm. And you know that I'm a very spontaneous person, Paul? Yes. I said to one of my flatmates, would you like to see some snow? And he said, yes. His eyes lit up like saucers. And do you know what I did? What? I drove to Mount Kosciuszko and filled up an esky with snow and drove it back to Sydney and showed him. And that's a true story. How's that for spontaneity? 
I mean, I would have just scraped out the inside of the freezer. But yeah, that's know. yeah, that's Paul. I I like to think I'm a man of my word. I think you think for sometimes the most elaborate uh, solution. God bless. Uh, well, I, okay. So in closing, I think it is absolutely possible that Dad could have been in police rescue. Um, and as you're going to find out over the coming weeks, Woodstock, aka Ant Man, was a frightening bastard. He and- wasn't, Paul. I think it's. You've, you've ended this particular chapter, chapter 11. Can you just read the last, say, 20 lines? I think that's where he gets a job. Remember that? Here we go. It's really interesting. This will sum the guy up, and it sums up the sort of the, the police force back then as well. Because what you're about to read, listeners, uh, well, Paul's going to read it, but what you're about to hear is so wacky. And I... Th- anyway, go ahead. Okay, okay. About 20 minutes after they started their first patrol, John and Anthony Woodstock received a call on the radio. They had yet to have a proper conversation. They'd shaken hands, grabbed some coffees to go, jumped in the patrol car and headed out. John was having a private strop about again having missed out on a buddy of good pedigree, and was starting to wonder whether he'd ever have a partner who he'd click with when the call came in summoning Woodstock to a police rescue job. VKG had his car number and reached out to him directly. Someone had jumped off a cliff near the beach and they were now wedged perilously on an outcrop halfway down. The VKG told Woodstock he was required urgently, and he confirmed this, signed off, and curtly told John to turn back around. John did so. After a moment, Woodstock piped up. Stop here, this is taking too long. Once again, John did as he was told. Woodstock gestured to John's door, indicating John should hop out, and opened it, and opened his. John climbed out, stood up, and watched his new partner head to the boot, pull out a canvas bag labelled Police Rescue, throw it on the passenger seat he himself had occupied moments ago, sit down to drive and take the wheel. Woodstock turned the car over. John was in shock. What? What do I do? He stammered. Woodstock looked up at him with blank eyes, his head turning a tad too slowly. What do you mean? I mean, how do I get back to the station from here? Woodstock shrugged at this and pulled away, leaving John in a side street. It began to rain. He started to walk back to North Sydney, swearing to himself the entire way. He'd left his coffee in the car. So he basically just fucked off and left. He dumped me. Yeah. He didn't even have the courtesy to drop me back at North Sydney Police Station. Now, I get that it was an urgent job, but, you know, we were only... We weren't that far away from the police station. So I had to make my way back in an ill-fitting, wet uniform. Mm. And it was just... It was sh- it was fucked because it had happened in the morning. Yeah. I had to work through till three p.m. and I was I didn't get to go out on the on the, on any car. I was like an assistant to an assistant in the police station. Like I was assisting the the station constable, and I I, I wanted to be out. You know, and there's my buddy. So I realised then that I had three weeks working with a guy that was well. You'll It'll be that. revealed yep. more about his character. Mm-hmm. But then I began to realise, hang on a sec, I'm actually not getting my money's worth here. I'm not getting three weeks. I might get one and a half weeks because this guy is going to be called all the time to do rescue work. Well, I cannot wait for everyone to find out what happens over the coming weeks with Woodstock. Thank you so much for listening to another Absolutely. I mean, this episode has been kind of unusually jam-packed, but we really wanted to make sure that your new year kicked off with something jumbo. So we hope you've enjoyed the episode. We'll see you at the end of this week for more Loose Ends. And be good to each other, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye.
Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er skide trætte af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakker.